This is the Conduit Church Teaching Podcast. Thanks for joining us. It's our mission to be a conduit of Jesus to the community in front of us and the world around us, starting with the teaching of His Word. Enjoy the message. Thank you, Mo. I asked Mo if he would uh, break it to you gently that Darren and Shannon weren't here because I said they're going to go through a grieving period, so break it to him gently this morning. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for bringing us together here in this place. And Holy Spirit, we invite you here. You are more than welcome here to teach us. We welcome your presence. And we pray that you would quiet the noises and the distraction in our minds. We just pray that our minds would be set on you. We seek our identity in you today, Lord. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Many years ago in our marriage, BC, before children, the group that Troy worked for was invited to perform in Hawaii, and they said, if you and Donna want to go along, we'll pay your way. And like Darren and Shannon, who were gifted a trip to the beach, we're not stupid people. So we packed our bags and we went to Hawaii. And one day we were going to be out at this beautiful bay to go snorkeling. And some of you may know my husband. He's very fair-skinned. And I told him, I said, I really think that in addition to sunscreen that you should wear a T-shirt. And so he pulled out a bright orange T-shirt from the suitcase. And I said, that'll be perfect. You'll look like a safety cone and be easy to spot. So off we go to this bay. And I saw Troy way out in, in the ocean. And I was on the beach and I thought, well, I'll go join him. And they have all these signs on the beach and there are people walking along it. And they tell you, you have to swim atop the coral. You can't touch the coral with your hands or your feet. You just have to keep swimming on top of it. So I kept swimming and swimming and I realized he was so far out there. And I kept thinking, what in the world is he doing all the way out there? And so I kept swimming and swimming. And then when I saw feet there on the bottom, I rose up and I took my snorkeling mask off and I said, I didn't think I was ever going to get here. And I looked into the faces of two complete strangers, one of them wearing a bright orange t-shirt. So I spun around and all the way, so far away on the other side of the bay, I saw a little stick figure wearing a bright orange t-shirt go like this. So now I had to swim all the way over there. And I got there and I was still in the water and I could hear Troy laughing. He was just cracking up. He thought that was so funny. And I got up and he said, I saw you stand up on the beach. So I started waving at you. He said, I saw you step into the water. So I started yelling for you. I was shouting your name. He said, then I saw you going off in the wrong direction. And I saw the guy in the bright orange t-shirt and I realized she thinks she's going in the right direction, but going in the completely wrong direction. And we, it was one of those things that we laughed about for weeks in the middle of the night, you know, we just, somebody would start laughing. We just think about this and we'd start to laugh. And then it dawned on me one day and I thought that surely must be how God sees many aspects of the church. 
where he's going, what are they doing? Where are they going? Don't, don't they see me waving? Don't they hear me shouting and yelling for them? And I believe that one of those aspects must surely be for prayer when it, uh, among his people. In the Bible, Jesus said, as it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. Not a house of worship, not a house of preaching, a house of prayer. And in the same way, the Bible says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? If we're in Christ, if we're a follower of Jesus, we can fill our temples up with everything that this world has to offer. Everything we read and watch and listen to, everything we eat and consume, everything we do, just fill it up. But if we don't fill ourselves up with the word, if we don't fill our temples up with prayer, we're empty and powerless. Just like this church, these seats can be filled to overflowing, like Mo said, just packed in today. If we can have awesome worship and amazing messages and the absolute best technology, but if we're not a people of prayer, we're empty and powerless. In the last 12 years, I read a statistic that said that prayer has dramatically declined in America. 45% of people, of adults, say that they pray every day, but that includes all religions praying to any God. Somehow prayer has become irrelevant among Christ followers, and we need to change how we think about it. In recent weeks, I've had two friends tell me, I'm praying but nothing's happening. And I asked them, well, how do you know? Because you don't see it? You don't, you don't feel it? We're, we're a feeling people. We want to we wanna feel things. And when we don't, we think, well, prayer doesn't work. In Daniel 9.23, the angel Gabriel says to Daniel, when you first started praying, an answer went out. And I came to tell you because God loves you very much. If you're part of the kingdom of God, if you're in Christ, the follower of Jesus, the very moment that you begin to pray, an answer goes out from heaven. Because God loves you very much. We've heard in recent weeks that God hears our prayers, but just as soon as we begin to pray, an answer is dispatched in heaven. Things are already happening. God is sending his answer, and the answer is always going to be yes, no, or not yet. And many times you may not live to see the answer to your prayer here on earth. But the Bible says that God's word endures forever. God's word is everlasting. If you're praying God's word over your family, if you're praying God's word over your children and grandchildren, then those prayers are perpetual. They go on and on. They don't die just because we do. We pray and an answer goes out from heaven, but then what happens? Before David was king, 
He spent many years hiding and fleeing from King Saul because Saul wanted to kill him. If he killed him, well, that meant that he couldn't be crowned king. And so in Psalm 18, we read these words of David. David says, in my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God from help. From his temple, he heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. So God has heard David's prayers just as he hears your prayer and my prayer. But then what happens? This is what happens immediately after God hears his cries. Verse seven, it says, the earth trembled and quaked and the foundations of the mountain shook. They trembled because he was angry. Smoke rose from his nostrils, consuming fire came from his mouth, burning coals blazed out of it. He parted the heavens and came down. Dark clouds were under his feet. He mounted the cherubim and flew. He soared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering. His canopy around him, the dark rain clouds of the sky. Out of the brightness of his presence, clouds advanced with hailstones and bolts of lightning. The Lord thundered from heaven. The voice of the Most High resounded. He shot his arrows and scattered the enemy. With great bolts of lightning, he routed them. The valleys of the sea were exposed and the foundations of the earth laid bare at your rebuke, Lord, at the blast of breath from your mouth. We pray and we think that nothing happens, but our prayers release God's power. We can't see the hailstones and the bolts of lightning. We can't see him pull back that arrow and scatter the enemy. We can't feel the earth trembling or shaking. We don't see or feel any of that. And we really want to, to know that our prayers are working. And if we don't, well, many times we think, well, prayer doesn't work. And we need to change our thinking about prayer and realize that our fight isn't here. In Ephesians 6:12, it says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against each other, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. The word rulers in Greek actually means Lord of the world, prince of this age, the devil and his demons. Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. We pray and the earth trembles. We pray and the foundations of the mountains shake. There's lightning, there's thunder, there's, there's fire, consuming fire coming from God's mouth. We don't see it, we don't feel it, but Satan and his demons do. Satan and his demons feel the power of our prayers. Not only here on earth, but in the heavenly realms. When our ladies pray back here on Monday morning, I, I love that Mo called them women warriors. When they pray, I know that some mountains have been quaking. I know that the earth has been shaking and Satan and his demons are afraid because he realizes we're not afraid of him. 
He's afraid of us. He's afraid of our prayers. In recent days, someone said to me, America is doomed. And I said, no, it's not because the remnant is praying. Our prayers release God's power. Our prayers hold back the darkness. Well, some Christians think, well, that's only when so-and-so prays. That's only when when they pray. My prayers don't have that that kind of power. But James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It doesn't say the prayer of the pastor, the prayer of the elders, the prayer of the deacons, the prayer of the Sunday school teachers, the prayer of the theologians. It says the prayer of a righteous person. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're walking with Jesus, your prayer is powerful and effective. Your prayer creates quakes in the heavenly realms. A few weeks ago, Darren said that he would love it if conduits were known as a people of mercy. It'd be amazing that when people walk through those entry doors, that they knew that there were people here who were going to pray for them. Whether it be out in the parking lot or back in the entryway or in classrooms, that somewhere, someone was going to come alongside of them and pray. Someone who knows how to pray. Someone who believes that their prayer creates quakes in the heavenlies. Ten years ago, my head was turning over to my right shoulder for no reason. There wasn't anything I could do to to keep it straight. It would just keep tugging, tugging, tugging uh, over my right shoulder. I went to my doctor and he said, you need to go see a neurologist. So I went And without any small talk at at all, the neurologist said, you have a brain disorder. And to be honest, we don't know what causes it, but we do know we can give you shots in your neck every three months for the rest of your life. So he pulled out six shots. And after the fifth one, I started to pass out from the pain. So he stopped. He didn't give me the sixth one. But as I was walking down the hallway toward the receptionist's desk, He yelled out to me. He said, now be sure you set your next appointment in three months. We can give you your next round of shots. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. Troy was at home with, with our kids because they were much younger then. And as I was leaving the parking garage, my phone rang and it was Troy. And he said, well, what did the doctor say? And I said, he told me there's something wrong with my brain. And he said, well, we knew that. What else did he say? And I laughed and I cried at the same time. And I thought, oh my Lord, I got a brain disorder. There's something wrong with my brain. But the other part of my brain said, God created your brain. God can heal your brain. But I would walk through our church, not this one. I'd walk through our church at the time. I'd take my my kids back to their Sunday school classes and people would stop me and they would say, oh my goodness, what happened to you? Were you in a car accident? Did you fall? And they would give me all sorts of advice. Do you try this vitamin? You know, they got this thing at CVS. You can wrap it around your neck and you can hang over your bed. Have you tried that? And they would do things like this. They'd go, oh, mm, wow, huh. I heard a lot of those noises. And as I walked through Franklin, wherever I was, in a school hallway, the stores, wherever, 
Same thing. Huh. Wow. Ugh. And people would say, I'm going I'm to pray for you. And they would walk away, and no one ever prayed for me at that moment. And I never would have believed it if it hadn't happened to me. But no one in the moment that they bumped into me at church or out and about in Franklin, no one ever prayed. Oswald Chambers said, the biggest thing you can do for those who are suffering is not talk platitudes, not to ask questions, but to get into contact with God and the greater works will be done by prayer. And I do want to say that I don't judge any of those people who didn't pray for me because I know that I was one of those people. I don't know how many times that I told someone, I'm going to pray for you, and then two weeks later realized, oh, I totally forgot to pray for them. So I don't judge anybody at that, at that, at that time. We often get uncomfortable in situations of sickness or seeing someone who's disfigured like I was or in tragic circumstances. And in those moments, we believe, well, my prayer is not going to do anything in this situation. But that's not on us. Healing is not on us. That's all on God. He says, I am the Lord who heals you. We're not the healer. All he's asked us to do is pray. And all the results belong to him. The answers to prayer is for God's glory, not for ours. We just pray. And by the way, I never went back for more shots because I just, I was like, oh, no way, I can't go through that again. So I thought I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to do whatever I can. Read about this. Do whatever I can to help bring healing. After many months, I told Troy, I said, I'm, I'm going to take God's, God at his word. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray that my pain will be broken and that my head will work again. It'll go straight on my body. Troy said, how long are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. 32 days later, I woke up. My pain was broken and I could turn my head again. And I tell people, I'm 97% healed. There's still that 3% in there that bothers me. It's driving me crazy right now. But I tell people it keeps me tethered to God. And I shared it this morning. It wasn't in my notes, but the Holy Spirit gave it to me. But it reminds me of the lepers in the, in the Bible, the 10 lepers. And as they walked away, they were healed. They were healed along the way. Jesus healed them. And only one came back to thank Jesus. But I share that as an encouragement to others of you who are waiting for your healing. Sometimes you have to walk out your healing. And it might be many years. We want that instant healing, but many times that just doesn't happen. Ten years in, and I'm still waiting and believing in faith for that final 3%. But during those long months when I would bump into people at church or when I was out and about in Franklin and no one would pray, for the longest time I was sad. And I would think, Lord, why aren't any of your people praying for me? But then I got mad. And I thought, Lord, why aren't any of your people praying for me? And you know, you're sad and you're mad have a few places that they can go. 
They can turn into anger, resentment, and bitterness, or you can give your sad and mad to God and let him use it for his kingdom. And at that time, I, I, I was reading my Bible and I came across 1 Samuel 12, 23, which I'd read many times in my life, but it popped out at me one day in particular. And it says, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. It would have been a sin against the Lord if Samuel didn't pray for the Israelites. And from that time on, if I bumped into anyone and, and they were going through a marriage crisis or they said so-and-so is sick or, or I'm sick or they were burdened by something, it didn't matter where I was, I would say, can I pray for you right now? And no one ever said to me, you mean right here by the eggs? Won't that be kind of weird? No one has ever said that. And our, we, oftentimes we make prayer so strange. We make it weird for people. We make it weird for them and we make it weird for us. If we bump into someone, we think, oh, I can't pray here because, you know, do I fold my hands? Do I lift them? Do I take a knee? Do I, do I touch them somewhere? Is there, do I have a prologue to this prayer? Is there an epilogue? There's got to be some, some magic words that I got to construct here. No to all that. No. You're talking to that person and you simply start talking to God as well and you pray for them. And it's been so interesting in my own journey because every time I do that, people cry. Because I think they felt like me. They feel sad that no one was praying for them. And you don't have to use a lot of words either. We think, oh, I got to use a lot of words. But Jesus actually said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. When Moses prayed for his sister Miriam, who was leprous, he shot up a quick prayer of forgiveness for her. And then he said, oh God, please heal her. That's it. It's not about words. God knows your heart. And as soon as you begin to pray, an answer goes from heaven. And the mountains start quaking and the earth starts trembling and there's bolts of lightning and there's thunder and there's fire that comes out of God's mouth because your prayer releases God's power. You may feel strange the first time that you pray for someone in, in Publix or in the, the parking lot of AutoZone, but you'll get over it. You'll get over it real quick. I want to look at one of my uh, favorite passages in scripture. In Acts 14, God uses Paul to heal a lame man in Lystra, and the crowd goes wild. They are so excited about this healing. And they even tried to offer sacrifices to, to Paul and his traveling companion, Barnabas. But Jews came along and they stirred the crowd up. And in verse 19, it says, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there, and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 
So the Jews stoned Paul, and the Bible says they presumed him to be dead, which means that somebody checked his vital signs. They checked his breathing, checked his heart, lifted his, checked his eyes, probably kicked him in the ribs, seeing if he was flinched. There's no signs of life there at all. And it says they dragged his body out of the city. They didn't even wait for Paul's people to come collect him. That's how badly they wanted him out of their city. So they dragged his body, which had been cut by those stones. It was swollen. It was bruised. They dragged his body through those dirty, nasty streets filled with dirt and mud and manure and whatever, just caking into those wounds. And the, the, the Bible says that the disciples gathered around him. Disciples there means pupils, learners. Paul was teaching people. He had pupils. We know that Barnabas was his traveling companion, <clears throat> but these other, <clears throat> these other disciples aren't named. <clears throat> they have no name. We don't even know how many are there. Considering that Paul was just stoned, I can't imagine how many stuck around to watch that. But disciples is plural, so it could have just been two, could have been more. But it says that they gathered around him, and he's lying there, no signs of life. They flung him out of the city. And I guarantee you that those disciples didn't look at him and go, hmm, wow. Oh, they didn't do that because they'd been walking with Paul and they knew who they belonged to. They knew whose authority they walked in. They knew whose authority that they prayed in. And it's, the Bible says he rose up and the Greek definition for rose up in this passage means cause to rise up. Now, what in the world would cause Paul to rise up at that moment? The Bible simply could have said that God caused him to rise up, but it doesn't. Tells us the disciples were there, gathered around him. So we can just imagine that they flung themselves on Paul's body and they grabbed hold of the altar of God and they prayed with the power that they knew that they had been given and lightning bolts started to flash and the earth started to quake and Satan and his demons got awfully nervous because they couldn't let this happen. But Paul's body flinched, his eyes flicked open, his body jerked to life and he rose up. Praise God. And it says he went back into the city. It doesn't say he went to the doctor, he got some food, he got cleaned up, but he was human. He'd just been stoned. I can't imagine but we can imagine they, there was a disciple on either side of him and they took him back into the city where he finished preaching because the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't stoned into silence. And we can imagine that he went into the houses of, of the church members of Lystra and he caused them to rise up. He taught them how to pray. 
He taught them who they belonged to and whose authority they walked in and prayed in. It says the next day he went to Derby, but that day he went back in and finished the work that God had given him to do. We cause each other to rise up out of fear, out of hopelessness, out of despair, out of loneliness, whatever it is, we cause each other to rise up. When we walk through these doors, we're praying people for one another. When we see people out on the streets, we're praying people for one another. Alex is going to come and she's going to sing. I don't know how long the song is, maybe four minutes. But we're going to take this time to pray. And just pray quietly there at your seats. Or if you want to come down here at the altar, you're welcome to do that. Some people did that the first service. We're going to pray. Pray for your families. Pray for this church. Pray for our country. Whatever the Lord lays on your heart. And don't raise your hands yet, but are there those here who are dealing with sickness? Or someone in your family is sick? Maybe you've got a prodigal child. Maybe you've got a prodigal grandchild. Maybe you've got business problems or ministry woes. You have a burden. You have a burden right now and you feel that quickening in your heart because the Holy Spirit is saying, raise your hand. Can you raise your hand if that is you? There's some sort of burden. And look around you at those who've raised their hands. Look around you. Because when we pray, if you're able, just get out of your seats and go pray for that person. If they're kind of in the middle section, someone just tap them on the shoulder. Let them know that you are praying for them. You're causing them to rise up. Ernie and Shirley are going to be right down here and they're going to be praying because you might have a need and you're thinking, I got to have somebody. I need to hear it. I need to hear that prayer. So Ernie and Shirley are going to be right down here. Maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you, you've grown up hearing about Jesus, but you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior. You don't know how to do that. You're welcome to come down here. Ernie and Shirley are going to be here, and I'm going to be down here. But take time. Get in the aisles if you need to. Come down here. Whatever you need to do before these next few minutes during this song. Everybody, let's be a praying church. Father, we thank you so much for this time to get together and pray that you would teach us to be a praying people. Teach us, Lord, not to just say praying on a social media post, but that we will be the people who will pick up the phone and call, will text, will take somebody to lunch. Teach us how to walk closely with you in your authority, to pray in your name. And we ask all this for your glory, Lord, for Christ's sake. In Jesus' name, amen.